We mentioned you're on spring break right now. That's right. You teach. Yes. Remind people where you teach. At County Hospital, Tuscaloosa County. County. They were my big rival when I was in high. I went, I'm a Central Falcon. Oh, okay. Graduated 2003, so that was kind of like the Alabama Auburn yeah. of my day. Yeah. You I know? thought you were a Hillcrest guy for some reason. No, 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 no. They were like our Tennessee, if we're considering Indeed. ourselves Alabama. So we have like a couple of different rivalries, that kind of thing. So, Those are no. great analogies. How's spring break treating you so far? Well, I don't know what to do with free time. No? I do not know what to do with free time. I stay so busy. You know, I'm usually, I've got something going on up until the moment, up until about 30 minutes before bedtime, I've got something going. School related? No, well, school related, or I'm just busy doing whatever. Try to write or work on band stuff, or sometimes it is school related and I'm busy up until, up until then. So, what's the ratio like between school and music right now, in terms of like what you consider your primary job? I guess. You think of yourself more as a musician or a teacher right now? Oh, it's 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 eighty five percent I'm a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Ninety percent I'm a teacher. Just based on like how occupied with that you are compared to the other? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I've gotta be teaching my that's my career. That's you know, I've gotta be dedicated to that. Now if you ask me that question in uh three months in the summer, I'll be ninety five percent musician. So it switches. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When you say you're working on a lot of things, would you say it's more like you're writing music or you're arranging or you're figuring out like logistical stuff for the band performance wise? I mean, what's going on there? All of that. Yeah. Like this morning, I woke up and spent an hour online trying to book some shows for the summer and, and did no writing. And, but maybe tonight, later on, I'll, I'll pick up the guitar and strum it and see if anything happens. So you write from the guitar usually? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say most of the time. Well, how's that been going, writing? With school being so busy and being a, being a teacher, being busy with that, I haven't written a lot lately. If I have long breaks, I write. For example, uh, during Christmas holidays, I wrote. If I have a, a long weekend, I'll end up writing. Uh, this spring break, I hope to maybe write. It takes, it takes me some time to write a song. Do you ever hit that block? Yeah. Yeah, you, I just plow through it, though. How do you plow through it, though? I mean, that sounds easier said than done to me. <laughs> I mean, I've never written a song. Oh, so. well, I don't, I don't, you just, you keep writing. You, 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 what I do is I try to come up with a chord structure, get some words uh, to it, and if I don't like the words, I can always rewrite them, and if I don't like the chord structure, then the song, then I just throw that song away. Does it change where you start, though? Do you start with chord structure every time as more of a, like a structural, like systematic thing, or can you start with lyrics first and then provide the chord structure? I've done lyrics first, and I don't think those are sh as strong. I don't think those are my, my strongest songs. I've done it about, uh, I've written about 45 songs, 50 songs, and about 10 of those came lyric first. See, yeah, I play the guitar a little bit. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, no, I'm no musician, but I like to fiddle with it. And I think, okay, well, if I ever wanted to write a song, would I start with the music or the lyrics first? And I think, okay, well, I could probably get by with writing either of those things first, but when it came down to the second thing, it seems impossible to What's me. What's the second thing? I'm saying, like, if I started with chords first and I, like, wrote some music, oh, I think yeah. I could do that. Or if I wrote, like, you know, a poem or some lyrics, I could do that. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying, if it came down to that second step, mm -hmm. either adding music to the words or adding words to the music, that seems next to impossible for me. Yeah, um... When you start with the words first, the trick is fitting that into a rhythmic structure, which can get difficult, which I don't think that happens to a lot of songwriters. I don't think they write lyrics first. They, they might jot down some ideas or a line or two, and then they'll try to ease that into a chord structure. 
But that that's kind of hard if you got, especially if you write the whole thing. If you think, okay, here's going to be this is going to be the verse, this is going to be the chorus. Like I said, I've done it about 10, 12 times, and, and I usually have to erase some words or try to make it fit, or I try to uh, rearrange it, or I end up totally rewriting a, a chorus. But it's something uh, that's not as easy. Now, when I start with chord structure, it's a little easier. I like to think, and I also like to have a subject in mind when I write. I have, to, I have something in mind, maybe one good strong line, and then I can kind of go. But if if I'm not if I don't have a subject or a strong line or something, I can't. Well, see, that's the other thing too is inspiration to write the song, subject matter, that kind of thing. I mean, obviously, some of what you've written has been autobiographical, and some of it has been related to where you are. A lot of your songs have sense of place, but like again, like if I'm talking from someone who's never really written a song. It seems tough. Like right now, I feel like I'm in a pretty good place mentally and personally. So I don't think I could write a song or it would be about I'd have to think of something like ridiculous. Do you think like songwriters in particular or artists in general, when it comes to creating and finding that inspiration, can you write from something that's good that inspires you? Or do you need to write uh, or do you not necessarily need to be in a bad place necessarily? But does that help more so than being in a good place? Yeah, it helps. It helps a little, but, you know, I can take someone else's bad story and then think about what would I feel. I have to have my feelings in there. There's a few of those songs from the first album where that's not me speaking, but those are my emotions if I was that person. If, if I, and things are going great for me now. I don't, I don't have a lot of worries or woes. But So does uh, that, but has that affected your songwriting in a negative way at all? No. No, I think my, my songwriting is, is, is better than it's ever been. Well, when I was in college, for instance, I was in like a writing class, like a mm-hmm. creative writing class, and I started to write this like story about, of course, I'm in college, so it's like relationship gone bad, yeah. that kind of thing, this sort of like cliched college kid thing. And I felt really good about it, and I, I felt creative, and the story was going somewhere, but then I met my future wife, and I, had a gr- I started to have this great relationship, and I hit a brick wall creatively to where I couldn't write that story anymore. It just wasn't happening for me. I just wasn't in that mindset. Is that, yeah. Does that happen in music, too? Yeah, yeah, it, sure, it certainly does. But I've got, a lot of, I've got a lot of bad stories that happened to me before the good times came. You know, I just have to remember them. I have to dig through them. Or, I mean, it's sad, but this world's got full of a lot of bad and sad stories. All i got to do is is think about them or find them and then relate to them, try to empathize. So inspire wouldn't necessarily be the right word for it. I think it's more of a journalistic thing mm-hmm. for me. I'm reporting, but at the same time I'm saying, this is my report, but this is how Blaine Duncan would feel, this is how Blaine Duncan would react if this were happening. You know, like I've never been struck by lightning, but there, you know, I've got a song on that first album about a guy who was struck by lightning, you know. But you, uh, you know, I've read course that you were in a car accident oh yeah yeah and you spent some time in the hospital Mm -hmm. and i mean is that something that would inspire something or or something you would report on about yourself or is that something that where you you're able to sort of sit there and think a while and be introspective and that would just give you time to think of things to write about yeah well for me it's the little things it's not the big things in my life that i reflect on as much i mean the the car wreck i don't know maybe it's just it seems too obvious and Mm -hmm. i just i don't i don't ever go go there but i'll you know, if I've got a a bad meal at uh, at, at McDonald's, you know, five years ago, for some reason that sticks out, and I'll write about that, how the service was bad. When was that car wreck? Uh, when was that? 99? And you got hurt no, no, pretty good? No, 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 it was, uh, let, me, let me change that, it was 97. And you got hurt pretty good? Yeah, broken pelvis, tailbone, concussion, uh, 
a couple other things broken. Where was this? It was up in up near Sullivan, and then I was uh, rushed to DCH here in Tuscaloosa. Wow. Yeah, I had to drop out of school. It was my first semester at Alabama, and I had to drop out. Because of that? Yeah, yeah. I was in the hospital for a week, and there was just it was going to be sort of a, and then I was going to be on crutches for a while, so it was sort of insurmountable. There's not like any sort of protocol they follow if like someone gets in a wreck and has to spend time in well, the hospital it, or something. It, it was Labor Day weekend, so I'd been in school three days. Oh wow! So the withdrawal procedure was very easy and standard. You okay. know, just withdraw. I got like a whatever amount refund, mm-hmm. a certain amount, whatever they give you at that point. It's not a hundred percent. Well, how did, how did that change things for you? Uh, you know what? That's when I started playing guitar. That was started. It. Yeah, like you just picked up a guitar for the first time. Yeah, well, I I was a drummer. Really? That's right. I was a drummer and played in some really, really cruddy bands. I was a horrible drummer, horrible <laughs> drummer. And I had moved to Tuscaloosa, so I sold my drums because there was nowhere to put them in the apartment. And uh, I had messed around with guitar because I was a drummer. I'd pick up when the when the guys would go on smoke break, I would pick up their guitar and say, "Show me a chord." And I would, you know, I knew about four chords at that point. But then the the wreck happened. I didn't have the drums. I was going to be at my parents' house for the rest of that semester. And uh, a friend of mine brought me his acoustic guitar. And but, that was it. But you're left-handed. But I'm I left-handed. imagine most of those guys are probably right-handed, they, right? They were all so right-handed. So you, you learned on a right-handed guitar? Yeah, yeah. Still play a right-handed guitar. Upside down. Oh, really? Upside down. That's right. And I've heard of people doing that before. I just don't really understand how that totally works exactly. So you're having to just, like, reverse your hand? Yeah, yeah. You, the chords are still the same. I just strum up. It's an up strum. Yeah. Did that offer much of a learning curve once you made that switch? No. A lot of people think, that, you know, I always, after every show, I always have at least one person come up and say, that's so weird. How did you do it? I can't believe you do that. That's so strange. But it's not. It's the exact same way of learning right-handed. You just, the, the strum is different. My rhythm uh, hand is going to be just a little different. Right. But no, it was easy. In fact, learning guitar is the easiest thing I ever did. Easiest thing I ever learned to do. Yeah. Because I wanted to do it. It didn't feel like homework. It felt like a joy. And you have two guitarists in your band, right? I have. And have had up to three, right? That's right. Well, yeah. Uh, The first incarnation of the Lookers had David Phillips and Handbag, and Ham was sporadic, and then eventually dropped out and then now we have three but uh one one of the guys is more of a multi-instrumentalist he plays banjo mandolin and guitar and who's this hayden crawford so is hayden a permanent member of the band yeah pretty much okay pretty much because i knew you guys knew each other and he played with you before and hayden's a really talented musician amazing i went to high school with him oh okay he's a central guy and i guess he probably went to either northridge or bryant after that so, yeah, I'm familiar with Hayden. Always been like, he was a drummer too, and he was an excellent mm-hmm. drummer. Yes. And he I still went, can play. Drums yeah, I went and saw well. him play at like Hale's Tavern and like yeah. Buffalo Phil's every now and yeah. then with some of those groups, and always enjoyed that. And then when he, you know, started to form his own bands where he played guitar, played with his dad maybe at yeah. some, at some with Evil with Rico. Dad. That's right, Evil That's Rico. Right. Yeah, I mean, they were great. Great yeah. cover band. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, he's, uh, his first show was Friday night, and he's going to be with us until June, and then it's going to be a little more sporadic, but he's going to make a whole lot of shows. Where'd y'all play Friday? The Nick in Birmingham. Oh, yeah, okay. How'd yeah. that go? That was great. Yeah? Yeah, pretty good crowd. Man, I, I really do think that, and this may be just me projecting, but I think that the crowds haven't figured out what to make of the, uh, this new lineup yet, you know? Like, when we'd play the full-on rock, it used to be full-on rock version of the Lookers, people would, you know, yay, woo, and it, we'd get that kind of response because it was a rock show. But now it's sort of this this conglomeration of folk and rock and Americana, weird mix and all that stuff, and 
And I, I really don't know if people know what to think yet. Yeah, because you're bringing all these different styles into one group. Like yeah. You, you have Adam Morrow now as your, your, one of your guitarists. I mean, you're talking about the guitarist and singer and songwriter from Kalu Kalei, mm -hmm. which is a yeah. much different band. Very different. From yeah. the Lookers. Yeah. So has, has that transition for him been smooth? Very. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This new album that's coming out is is um, it was our blueprint because I didn't use any of the lookers. They, it, I was in transition period. I basically used Dexatines, guys, and uh, that's the blueprint. And it's kind of a it's a folk it's a it's a folk noise album. There's it's like folk but with this weird noise stuff going on. And that's Adam to a T. That's Adam Morrow. He slid right in. Mm -hmm. He knew exactly what we want, what we needed, and what I wanted. He's, he's great. Well, it seems like you, you say the crowd might have trouble, not not necessarily adjusting to the new forms of the lookers all the time, but I think, well, what about Blaine? Because, I mean, how many forms of the band have you had so far? How many members have there been? How many lookers have there been since you formed back in, what, like the mid-2000s, I guess it was? Or like late, mid to 2007. late 2007s? Yeah. And it just seems like there have been a few members. You've obviously remained constant. Has uh -huh. there been? Remind me, has there been someone else that's been there the whole time, or has it just been you? Now, no. Okay. David Phillips was there up until last summer. Mm -hmm. He was the lead guitar player, and he was there since pretty much the first show. Is it the same band? This version? I'm saying like now compared no. to when you formed. How no. different is it? Everyone's different. In the, in the sound and just the idea of the band? Oh, yeah, yeah. The sound is... It's more weird country folk. We, I play a lot more acoustic guitar. I never played acoustic guitar um, unless I was doing a solo show. But now I play it well over half for the, of the set. And then we have Adam Morrow playing guitar. And uh, even he'll switch to acoustic sometimes. And then Hayden's doing the multi-instrumentalist thing. We've got a different bass player. And then Adam Ridgway on drums who played. He was in uh, The Lookers for a little bit. And he came and, and now he's back. Mm -hmm. came he played. And he played with Adam Sneed, right, and Traveling Gin yeah, a while and, back. Yeah, and yep. they had the Small Timers for, yep. for a few months there. Yeah, I love Traveling Gin. I did too, Back yeah. in that day. They were great. They were so different. And, I mean, like, that's just something you, that kind of band, and you see a few of them now too, but that's just something that Tuscaloosa isn't really used to. Mm -mm. And then we don't have that as much anymore. No. They were doing something that people are doing now. Yeah. You know, they were doing something 10 years ago that people are doing, just now getting around to do it, and, and becoming big for doing. Yeah, and the and you talk about the multi-instrument thing, yeah. too, that, like, Hayden brings your band now. Yeah. I think that they had, like, accordion in their band and a few other different mm -hmm. unusual instruments. Yeah. But, you, you know, you seem like a guy always, since I've known you since we've been in college. The first time I came across you was probably at a guerrilla theater show. That was, some, uh, that was my first show. Yeah, like on the steps of the Marion Galloway yeah. and Rowan Johnson Hall, back when they would have those little block parties. You would, you would come out there, and you'd have your harmonica around your neck mm -hmm. and acoustic guitar, and you'd be wearing like your blazer and your shirt, you yeah, know, and yeah. you'd be playing a song. You know, and it was just such a really good outlet for artists like that. I mean, you said that was your first show. Yeah. I mean, what did it take for you finally get the nerve up to get up there and perform in front of people it well was, it was it was a pretty open-minded crowd and welcoming crowd mm -hmm. wouldn't you say but i mean very were you nervous yeah yeah nervous yeah deathly <laughs> uh and still get deathly nervous mm -hmm. i was just trying to be uh i was just doing my todd snyder impersonation really that was it yeah <laughs> i had been to see todd i'd really gotten into him and seen him about five or six times at that point and i he's got this story he tells where he goes to see jerry jeff walker and he thinks I can do that. It's just him and a guitar. I can do that. I do that at home. Mm -hmm. And I, I did the same thing when I saw Todd Snyder. I said, I can do that. 
I do that, you know, I do that in my bedroom. And I saw the sign up for Gorilla, and I'd seen it a couple times, and I was a student, and I'd taken some, some classes there in Rowan Johnson, and I thought, well, this is it. This will be it, you know, because I'm going to be graduating in a year, year and a half, and I'll, this is my last chance, and I'll do it. Yeah, and it's not quite an open mic, necessarily. No. Kind of a different vibe. I mean, were you familiar with Gorilla before that? A little bit. So were you familiar with kind of like with the crowd and like what who whom you'd be playing to and yeah I mean, what made you want to go there instead of like to a bar where there was like an open mic thing and the open mic never crossed my mind really? I, yeah never did open mic sounded like someone who who was established talented knew what they were doing but gorilla seemed more like experimental go up there give this a try now I rehearsed my I rehearsed my butt off for it I, re- I remember practicing for weeks and then getting the courage and signing the sheet. And I knew a few of those people at that time. You know, I had a couple classes with them, and uh, I thought, okay, I'll try it. A, a bucket list thing. Yeah. Never thought it. <laughs> never thought in two, 2013 I'd be playing with a band. Were you from Sullivan? Mm-hmm. And remind me how far that is from here. I guess 70, 80 miles. Wow, and so you got in your wreck, and you came to Tuscaloosa mm-hmm. after that. That's a long drive. It is, yeah. It was a bumpy, bumpy ride from what I can remember. <laughs> yeah, I, had, yeah, I had a concussion. too. So where'd you go to high school? Sullivan High School. Sullivan High yeah. School, and how big is that? Tiny. Really? Yeah. Uh, I graduated with 70 people. Okay. And, like, grew up in a house, both parents? Both parents, yeah. Okay. I had a really good childhood. They, they're both there, still together, and, and uh, an older brother, 10 years older than me, and an older sister, 4 years older than me. Yeah. So. And, I mean, were you in a musical household at all? Well, the radio was always played, mm-hmm. but no one played instruments. I mean, did your dad, like, have records or anything yeah. like that? Yeah, I still have. I have I've got them now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that sort of where, like, the education started? Absolutely. Because, I mean, you seem like, to me, if I could pick, like, a musical historian in Tuscaloosa, especially <laughs> in the local music scene, then one of the guys I'd go to would be Blaine Duncan. Well, so, I mean, I'd hope you'd go to Ham or Sweet Dog oh, yeah. first. But I mean, maybe I'd, I'd be fourth. You'd be on the short list. <laughs> Thank you. Know you know what I mean? So, is is that where the love of rock and roll started? Childhood? I tell you what, man. I remember very clearly uh, a couple of vivid memories I have. Is my sister, who was four years older than me, my grandparents would come and get us in the morning to to watch us during the summer because parent, my parents worked. So my grandparents would come and get us. We'd go over there, and on the ride over there, I remember before seat belts. You know, I was sitting straight up and down in the car. <laughs> You know, probably three or four or five. And my sister leaning up to the car and saying, sing it, sing it. I remember, just, I remember this clearly, sing it, sing it. And I would sing uh, Waylon Jennings. And she would want me to sing it so she could sing, but she didn't want to be the one that led it, you know. And I would do it. And then I fast forward to fifth grade, I remember older high school kids talking me into, out in the playground yard, talking me into singing Run DMC's version of Walk This Way because I knew every word. And I was in about fourth or fifth grade. <laughs> So I immediately started relating performance to attention and love and acceptance. You needed it. Oh yeah, that's, that's still why I'm doing it. I'm trying to I'm trying to break free of that. I don't uh, I don't want to be the person who's up there playing like look at me. But I'm trying to do it for the fun, and that, I do it for the fun. Yeah. But uh, you, I got to break away from that. But it, that that's how it started. I think. Start with your parents too. I mean, like, did you, did you perform for them a lot? Well, I also have this other memory of my dad. And my older brother bringing me into the room and teaching me the lyrics to an Oak Ridge Boys song so I could go back out into the living room and sing it. But they, like I said, no one was ever the performer. I also remember standing in front of the mirror with my sister and having tennis rackets for guitars. Yeah. I mean, it sounds pretty eclectic, though. You go from Oak Ridge Boys to Run DMC. Yeah. You had a pretty varied taste, I guess. Yeah, well, my brother, uh, my brother and my dad's records were all varied. 
My dad had a lot of George Jones, Johnny Cash. And then my brother would have Run DMC, Kiss, uh, and some, you know, Leonard Skinner or something kind of off. Well, so your parents, I guess, were supportive and didn't really mind what you listened to or watched They or never anything. did. Yeah. They never did. Every now and again, my mom would comment and say, oh, I don't think you should be listening to that. I remember when we listened to a Tom Petty song on MTV once, and he said, uh, it was the, I won't back down. And he said, hell. Mm-hmm. And my mom said, oh, I wish she wouldn't say that. Or, yeah, but that was the extent of it. She never turned this off. Were y'all church going? Yeah. What, what church? Methodist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, First Methodist. Um, I don't remember what Methodist it was, but we were we went. My mom went every Sunday. My dad, he worked a, uh, a lot of seven-day seven, seven day weeks. He wasn't. What did he do? Worked at 3M for 37 years. Huh. The 3M plant in Gouin. What did he do there? I mean. That's a mystery to me. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I find that's interesting that a lot of, like, young people, even now, like, our generation especially, would have trouble describing exactly what their dads do. He worked in the bubble department, yeah. whatever that meant. Yeah. I don't know. It mixed certain chemicals, and then while they mixed, he sort of just, I think he just stood off and watched the machine, and and that's what I gathered. Mom used to say, don't worry about your dad. He can sleep a lot at work, but I think that was just mom being mom. (laughs) Well, did you find that, I mean, you say he had an older brother, and he had a a record collection of his Mm -hmm. own. Did you find that, like, your parents might not have been as strict with you because you were interested in what he was doing? So it's like almost like however they feel about what he's doing kind of trickles down to you, and you get to experience what he gets to. Yeah, and they enjoyed some of it. Um, They... we would put on Hank Williams Jr. records. My, that was my brother's biggest thing, and it's and he's he's one of my favorites. Hank Jr. Hank Jr. Yes, and I know that's awful. Like people are going to listen to this interview and think, "No, Hank Sr. or <laughs> No, Hank the Third. Give me Jr." Really, really. Yeah, that was really big when I was in high school. There was kind of like this little contingency of people who loved it, go see shows mm-hmm. of Hank Jr. And the you know? it was the redneck crowd that that weren't always the nicest guys. Right. And it was the same way in, in Sullivan. But the thing with Sullivan, it's such a small group that I was the redneck, the nerd, the jaw. I mean, I was all three. Well, I wasn't the jaw. But Did you I play was, sports? I played a little basketball, but okay. it was mainly on, the sh- on Saturday on the concrete. Not for Sullivan High? I did for a little bit. I didn't last. Not your thing? Nah. I got you. Didn't like being told what to do. Yeah. <laughs> like I said about the musical historian thing, I think that that has also worked its way into your knowledge of the local scene. And you, you seem to have more of an appreciation for local musicians in Tuscaloosa than even a lot of the musicians. I know that musicians all know each other and support each other, but, I mean, you're one of the guys that you could have a conversation with about bands that were playing here five, six years ago mm-hmm. and remember all of them, remember their songs, you incorporate them into your own music every it. now and then. So what is, what is it about the Tuscaloosa scene that has kept you here and kept you interested? Well... If I want people to like me and to respect me and to, and, and to be serious about what I'm doing, I think I have to do the same thing for other people. That's one side of it. But the other side of it is so much of it is just as good as anything I go out and listen to um, on the radio. Mm-hmm. Definitely better than what's on the radio because that's a, that's a different ballpark. But I just want to be supportive in it because I want to be supported too. I know that's sort of a selfish uh, reason, but I also like it, you know. And I buy the I buy the CDs and I listen to them, or I pull them up on Spotify and I listen to them while at home because I like them, you know. I'll be supportive of some bands even if I don't like them, but I'm not gonna buy their CD and listen to them at home unless I do. So I, there is that extra step that I do take them when, when I really like them. Are there any bands specifically that you would say like this band? Like you said, like for me, there are a few bands when I was in college. Like I loved Bakwa, mm-hmm. I still love them. Mm-hmm. Abby Gogo, yeah. when they were playing, where I thought this stuff is as good 
as the mainstream stuff or the stuff out there that I would hear on the radio or buy in a store or something like that. I can actually sit here and actively listen to this and be a fan of it. Sure, yeah. You know, and like on my Facebook page or something like that, say, this is the music that I like. Yeah, absolutely. The conundrum is convincing other people that it's just as good. Mm -hmm. You know, they're out there listening to, you know, take your pick of indie indie band. And, yeah, and and you can you've got even better music down the two blocks from you, mm -hmm. but you're not going to it. I don't know because they never heard of it. I mean, if they've heard of it, right? They've but, heard people say it. They've seen it on Facebook posts. They just I don't know. They're just stubborn, scared. Yeah, afraid of trying something new. But you were never scared of doing that. Man, I just wanted to be in a group of people and hang out. Yeah. And I quickly found out that those musician people would let anyone in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you so you think it, like you're you're a very nice guy. Right, and, I'm sure, and well, and people consider you that. Like, I mean, people write that about you, say that about you. I mean, having known you for several years, you've always been a very nice guy, willing to talk to most people when you're out and about, have a conversation with them. Do you feel like that helped you in uh, this sort of industry and in this sort of scene in Tuscaloosa, especially? But I mean, if you walk into like Egan's or somewhere, people are very welcoming, and it's it's a community of yeah. musicians and folks who really appreciate music around here and want to support it do you feel like you're being uh, nice to people sort of helped you wander in or did you feel like the music scene was a little meaner i guess it's both yeah. both of those are the right answer um i think people came and supported me because i was nice i, I think the first seven eight ten shows of the lookers were just people there being friendly and being trying to be sweet because i don't i don't know that we were that good but the, the other the other side of that being mean, I probably should be a little meaner, especially when it comes to booking at the end of the night, when it comes time to collect the money. I'm just sort of the guy twiddling my thumbs, you know, when I should go up and say, all right, we got to get out of here. We need our money. So the niceness doesn't help all the time, but it did help, I think, in, in getting started and being accepted into this uh, this city's musical scene. Yeah. And you say, like, collecting money at the end of the night. Oh, God. And you got how many people in your band, too? Five Splitting now. it five ways yeah. now. You mm -hmm. know, I can imagine, like, when there were bands like the Bonky Bonks back then. Yeah. You know, if yeah. they played a show, you got to split things, like, what, 13 ways? I don't think they did. No. I don't. I think they just <laughs> did. They were just know. there being the Bonky Bonks. I think yeah. they just, free beer was their money, probably. Right. Well, I mean, how, how does that work exactly when you're playing shows in Tuscaloosa? I mean, obviously, there are nights when you're going to play a show when you don't get a huge crowd but you're going to split the door. I mean, is it more of a thing where you're just there to play, you're there to make money, you're there to get free beer? Mm -hmm. I mean, wh wh what makes you happy when you're doing it? Is it, does money ever really factor in? Because in yeah. the end, you, but I mean, you're a musician and you want to at some point get paid for doing it, right? We, yeah, we, we've, reached the, we've reached the point where we want to, we want to get compensated for our trouble. You know, otherwise we'll stay at home. We'll practice in the garage. Mm -hmm. We don't need this. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. We don't have to be at Green Bar till three in the morning. But we do it because we love it, and we can do it in the in the basement by ourselves. So we do want to get compensated a little bit, just a little. Now I'm not expect. I'm also realistic, and I don't expect us to make a thousand dollars a night. That's not going to happen. Probably won't ever happen, and that's okay with me. But we, my guys, they all work, and we need uh, we need a reason to get out of the house other than just just playing songs. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the, and we're getting you know I think Elliot even discussed it with you in a previous interview mm -hmm. where I'm 36 too, mm -hmm. and it takes a lot for me to get off the couch. And I'm not saying you got to wave money in front of my nose, mm -hmm. but it's nice, and we like to be. And it's just a way of saying it's just a way of the of the place saying, hey, you drew in, you know, 70, 80 people. Here's your compensation for mm -hmm. helping us out. I think it's fair. Now you've been married. Yeah. Are you still married? 
Yeah. It's complicated. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I just want to ask about it just to sure. clear it up because, like, I, I knew you were married at one point. I was, yeah. And, I, you know, I've read, too. I, I was never totally clear on it, mm-hmm. but I've read, like, you know, post-divorce Blaine Duncan. Yeah. That kind of thing. We divorced. We probably should just should have separated for a little while. Yeah. But we're back together and living together. And yeah. Pretty much married. Yeah. We, we, I call her my wife. Not getting married again, though, officially? I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, you know. You just got a good thing going? Yeah, we haven't talked about that. Yeah. We act like married people, and um, that I'm happy. Yeah. I'm extremely happy. Is there a bit is there a difference between, like, the official marriage and what you're doing now <laughs> that you've noticed? Mm, nah. It, there, there was such a sea change between wh- who I was back then and who I am now. So yeah. it's, it's the changes in me if there's a change. Happier now, though. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think the difference between yourself was back then and now? Because I knew you several Just, years ago. You were still a nice guy. Well, yeah. Have seemed like a happy guy. Yeah. I'm happy and nice behind closed doors now. Just learning to live life. I needed some time to do that, apparently. And music-wise, it seems like going through that, that'd give you something to write about. Has it? Or is that something you keep behind closed doors? There's a sprinkling of it somewhere if you know where to look. Mm-hmm. It's in there. Yeah? Yeah. I think Kelly probably knows where to look. How does she feel about that, though? Like, I don't you, think she you, likes it. Really? Yeah, she never talked about it openly, but she, I have seen her joke with friends about how it's awkward to see some of your personal life on display on stage. But I don't think anyone else would really know what it was. But she knows. She knows. But it, so it feels probably a little awkward. Yeah, it's like an author like with a book. Even if yeah. you change the names, yeah. they know it's them, mm-hmm. and it's out there. Yeah. And someone could find out eventually, I guess. Well, if they wanted to do their homework. Right. But even if they did... You know, it might not even matter. It's it just, doesn't to me. Yeah, I mean, the, the stuff I'm singing and writing about are stuff that's pretty well known anyway. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty. Mo- I'm more open now than I used to be. That was another. That's one change mm-hmm. from five years ago. Yeah, and I mean, being an artist, do you feel like you have to be open? Is it important that you put yourself completely out there? No, I don't think so. You could go either way. You can be really open and, and draw everything from your life and be a pretty good artist, or you can draw nothing. Um, I think good artists find the balance. Probably. That's a guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just seems tricky incorporating anything personally. Your family, your yeah. wife, yeah. girlfriend, whatever. Your kids. It seems tough to do that, but it seems like artists, if they fully want to engage with what they're doing, if they fully want to engage in self-expression, then it seems like anything is fair game. Well, i tell you a trick. I'll expose a songwriting trick, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier. What I do... It's maybe I'll write about something that's totally unrelated from my marriage or my family or my mom or dad. <clears throat> okay, I'll write about that. But I put in my emotions that I have about my cat dying or my mom and dad fighting, you know, or, or my mom and dad loving each other. That would be more accurate. I put that into this situation that I'm going to use to express my emotions. So you find like a surrogate? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, but at the same time, I'm also kind of letting you know a little bit more about some other situation, too. So you kind of get two stories balled into one. Or you get the emotion of me balled in with an actual story from someone else. That's one of my tricks. I've done that about three or four times. Is it all for yourself? Do you get bugged if like people respond to those a certain way? Are, more, are some songs more important than others, like the personal ones, compared to the ones that I don't know that you would just want to have fun with? How precious are they to you? They all are. Yeah. Yeah, or I couldn't play them. The ones that aren't that important to me, I, I find that we just don't play. I don't ask the band to rehearse. Are there some that are too personal that you don't want to play? No. Mm-mm. I veil it enough to where I'm comfortable. I put just enough veil on it, or a lot. 
a veil on it to where I could present it to pretty much anyone. How comfortable are you now with this frontman status to where you're Blaine Duncan and, you know, and the lookers follows your name, right? Yeah. So you're the one that is immediately associated with what you all do. You're the representative. You know, I always wonder about how the and the guys mm-hmm. feel in those kinds of bands. Hmm. I don't know, but it should be the lookers and Blaine Duncan. Yeah. They, this version especially, yeah. they brought so much more to the table than I have. I just bring in the songs. Hey, this is G, D, and C, and here are the words. And then they, this version makes it a song. They arrange it. I've, I've, I've learned to do that with this last album and letting Elliot produce it that I've got to let go. And so really it should be Lil Cruz and Blaine Duncan. I don't know how I feel about it. The Lookers have changed so much that it's, that's the one bonus. I was talking to Lee the other day, Lee Baines, and he was talking about how the one good thing about being Lee Baines the third in the Glory Fires is it really doesn't matter who's in the Glory Fires that night. You know, one guy can't make a show, it plugs someone else in. And that's true of the lookers. You know, the running joke I had for a while is, you know, you could be a looker if you mm-hmm. wanted to be. <laughs> it needs to be Blaine Duncan and the lookers or and, and, and this other collection of people because it changes throughout the years. It evolves, but you're it that has. one constant. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it won't evolve too much. I'm really satisfied with this version. So. Yeah. So you're feeling more and more comfortable on stage now? No. No? No. I never get comfortable. You're out front. You're out there. Man, yeah. But I'm worried about, uh, can I hear my voice through the monitor? Does does Adam know when that drum beat starts? Does uh, Josh know that, you know, I'm so worried about... Uh, Stressing out. 20 other things. Is the crowd going to like this song? Am I hitting the right notes? Because my voice isn't... It's not the best. Well, let's talk about your voice let's, real quick yeah. because it's been written about and talked about. Yeah. And I'm sure that you're probably your biggest critic no matter what. I don't know. You don't think so? <laughs> yeah. My, one of my favorite quotes ever from an article was uh, from Trey Irby. He wrote an article and he said that someone in the crowd said, love the music, hate the guy's voice. Uh-huh. And I thought, that's us. <laughs> Sometimes I'm okay with it. Yeah. Sometimes I'm okay because I don't want everyone in the world to like us. That I don't, I don't want to be Justin Bieber. Yeah, I don't want to be one one direction, one dimension, whatever they call. It. You don't? No. <laughs> so, but at the same time, I do want the people who sh- probably should like it and, and and probably would like it if I'm singing as good as I can. Mm-hmm. I want to be. I want to do that. It seems like you probably think of yourself as a songwriter first, right? Yeah. So, when you hear people talk about your voice. Like someone like that at a yeah, show. Yeah. Do you ever think to yourself, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't be singing. Maybe maybe I should let somebody else sing my songs. Or do you just feel like these that. are my songs? I need to sing. Yeah, them. I can't do yeah. that. I can't give up control. I'm still too. I live in fear of not having control. Mm-hmm. I do. Uh, from morning till dark, it's something that I I work on. It's something I work on every day, and so I just I, I can't give up that control of singing. In fact, the, the Lookers rehearsed yesterday, and, and there's we're going to do one song where I don't play anything. I just sing. It's gonna it's the first time ever, and that's going to be fun. Yeah? Yeah, but I still just can't give up that, that singing. I mean, And I know I'm not good. You know you're not good. Yeah, I'm not good. Why would you do it then, if you know you're not good? Because I can emote yeah. what needs to be. I wrote it. This is your outlet. Yeah. And you wouldn't feel like as much of the quarterback, I guess, if you weren't singing and writing I, and playing guitar. Yeah, I had a lot of trouble making the making the album. Because I didn't do, I felt like I wasn't doing anything. I really, I didn't play, I didn't play an instrument on it. Elliot played guitar, Lee played guitar, and we had all these, Matt Patton on bass, and we had all these guys, amazing talents, guys I worship, and I was just standing there. And I remember coming home after that initial recording session and talking to Adam Ridgway, the drummer, and I said, 
man, I, I thought it re- went really well, and I loved it, and I love how it's sounding, but I just feel useless. I feel useless. He said, are you kidding me? You did all the work on the front end. Yeah, you wrote it. Yeah, and, but it took a week of him telling me that to convince me that I did work. So do you forget that you did at that point? Do you, feel like, do you feel like they're taking what you did and making it their own? There were a few moments of that, but the, the, more, the biggest issue was that I felt like I was just standing around. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like I, like, what shouldn't I be? It's like uh, when you're, you know, uh, when your mom comes home with the groceries and you're just playing video games mm-hmm. and you don't get out there and help bring in the groceries. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I wasn't bringing in the groceries, I didn't feel like. But the truth of the matter is I, I'd already paid for the groceries. Right. You know, I did the important stuff. And it took me a good week and a half to get mentally, get that through my head. And so this album is coming out soon? May 1st. Okay. Yeah. What's it called? When She Dies. And so we can find it May 1st. Is it going to be available online? Are mm-hmm. you going to release it uh, via CD, or what are you going to do? Yeah, CD will be available May 1st, and uh, you can actually pre-order it on iTunes starting April 3rd, and it'll show up, you know, if you buy it on iTunes via pre-order, it'll show up in your iTunes May 1st, the day it was released. You'll have it day of, and we will have CDs. Uh, in fact, if you if you catch us in April, you can probably get a an early copy. So are you playing in Tuscaloosa anytime soon? April 19th. Okay. And so early copies might be available. That's right. Where are you playing April 19th? Green Bar. Friday night at a Green Bar. and it's uh, That'll be a good show. Just y'all? Uh, we haven't finalized the bill. Yeah. I don't. I can't, I can't say anything else because the band I've asked are, are going to get back to me and I hate to say who it is and then not. Do you usually determine who you guys play with or is that something Green Bar or another bar might arrange? The, uh, it depends on the bar. With yeah. Green Bar, we have a really good working relationship. We'll toss suggestions to each other. Yeah. David Allen, who books there, um, does a really good job of, of finding a good fit, and he'll toss me an idea, and I'll say yay or nay, and I'll toss him. You know. Yeah. Do you really need to get along with a certain band? Or you, is it about like establishing a, a kind of rapport where you guys know when to uh, share time at the bar to where like they might be playing too long or to give you guys too much time to play? I mean, what what is important to you when it comes to sharing a bill with a band? The most important thing is is making sure the genres don't clash. And no offense to like a metal band, right? Because I, I, there's a few metal well, there's a few metal bands I like, but uh, that would be stupid. You'd never play a show with a metal. No, it would be stupid. Those people, you know, it sounds intriguing at first. Uh, you think, oh, well, we'll get the metal crowd and we'll get the, the the folk crowd and oh, they'll blend and they'll love both of us. That that doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've learned that the hard way. Now you can kind of do it if the genres are close enough. Like we've done some shows with Bach Gua, and that was pretty close. Yeah. Plus we had the same fan base, yeah. you know, so that wasn't too bad. Well, you, know? you also don't want the other band to sound exactly like you too, right? That's, oh no, yeah, you don't want that. But you you want it more similar than than less. Mm-hmm. You do. That, but as far as sharing time in the stage, everybody has a good understanding. Usually the band, if, especially if it's a band you brought from out of town, they'll come up to me or they'll message me a week before and say, how long should we plan on playing? And you say, you know, X amount of time. Mm-hmm. And they do it. Do you like playing shows? Yes. Yeah? I love it more than recording. I hate recording. And writing? I mean, like, what are, are those two? The order would be performing, writing, and then something recording else. Recording way then, down there. Yeah, last. <laughs> hate yeah. it hate recording why i mean is it just you're spending too much time with yourself and like with what you're doing you're getting too a little too familiar with your output well honestly for recording there's just a lot of it's like the best way i can explain it is like three hours of sitting around and then 10 minutes ago and then three hours of sitting around and then 10 minutes and it's repetitive oh i hate yeah i just get bored i get really bored with recording what do you usually record 
Well, we recorded the first album in a house. We just, there was a, a large house that a friend of ours owned, and we just made it into a studio. But the last album that we recorded this summer that's coming out, we recorded over at Dialback Sound in Water Valley, Mississippi. It's uh, owned by the guy, the Fat Possum owner. Yeah. So we, we used their studio. This is the one you did with the Dexatines? That's right. And yeah. they played your entire mm-hmm. album. So mm-hmm. the Lookers aren't on this album. Other than Adam Ridgeway. He's the drummer. He's, he's the drummer in the, the entire current, album. Yeah. Okay. And, and then he's the current drummer, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, But yeah, it was Elliot McPherson, Matt Patton, Lee Baines III, Nathan Pitts from The Bear mm-hmm. plays uh, pedal steel and guitar on, wow. on a couple of tracks. Yeah, two tracks. And then the guy who engineered it is also a talented musician, and he plays a few things. That's quite a backing band there I think for it's your great. latest album. I you think must, it's great. You must feel pretty good about that. I do. I think this album is going to, I think a lot of people are going to like it. Is this a Blaine Duncan and the Lookers album, or is this, is this a solo album, or what's the deal? No, it's Blaine Duncan and the Lookers. Okay. You know? Yeah. The Lookers are... It changes all the time, so I guess, could, like, for that... Your grandmother could be in the Lookers. Right, so for that <laughs> album, the Dexatines are the Lookers. That's right. Right. And you're pleased with it. <sighs> yeah. How many songs? Uh, six. Six? Yeah. Okay. You know, what I think is interesting is I follow you on Twitter, and remind mm-hmm. people where they can find you on Twitter. It's uh, twitter.com, and then there's the slash. It's BD and the word spelled out. BD and the Lookers. Right. Now, I noticed that I'm pretty sure that you're one of the ones out there who will live tweet the occasional wrestling show. I used to. Yeah. I used to. I, I quit watching it. I don't have time now. Yeah. Yeah. I've yeah, I just, slacked off. I think it's funny because, I mean, like, there would be people, like, kind of close to my age now who are, who are still watching this. Yeah. Stuff. Did you grow up a big fan? Mm hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm. Like, what era was, like, the time or what, what company? Where yeah, did you grow it up? was WWF yeah. back then, and yeah. it was the Hulk Hogan era. Yeah, yeah, Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, Macho Man, all that. Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah, uh, yeah, those guys. And I actually phased out of it. I, wrestling for me comes in phases. Uh huh. And I'm actually out of my phase now, <laughs> right. so I'm kind of behind. But um, I was into it about two years ago again. But yeah, it comes in phases. So I was into it in the old when I was a kid, and yeah. it was Hulk Hogan. And at the same time, there was that that this. There was a conference out of uh, Tupelo in Memphis. And, oh, man. And I watched that, too. Really? That's it, like the nitty-gritty, you know, yeah. stuff. Wildcat Wendell Cooley. Oh, man. You know, those guys. The Southern Boys. They'd wear those ridiculous rebel flag tights. But anyway, regardless, no one wants to hear about that. Uh, yeah, I think I, some people might, but, you know, those but people I, are hardcore. You know, everybody kind of everybody you talk to now got into it with the Stone Cold and the Rock era. Yeah, the That's Attitude era. That's when I era. quit. Yeah. I thought that was ridiculous. You didn't you didn't care for didn't it? Didn't like Still it. Still don't? Yeah, I do now. Looking do. back, I thought it was genius. <laughs> but back then I was like I was a purist. Right. It's like, oh my god, they're drinking beer on re-, you know, I was I was 16, 17, 18. I was like, I'm not watching that crap. Yeah, it kinda like the whole meta thing started to kind of surface during that era to me where it became aware of itself. Yeah. And like back then when we were young, obviously when we were kids, we might not have noticed some of it. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like the show and like the matches mattered to us and now it just seems like an age of like disqualifications in the matches the, yeah. the stakes aren't really there that kind of thing yeah i don't really watch now but i just thought it was funny when i would like read tweets every now and then like from yeah. me or somebody when That's you're like watching raw uh or some or some show and it's just like well what am i missing now that i've kind of left it behind nothing <laughs> it's nothing because it like hasn't said, really changed yeah right? like i said i'll take about three years off and i'll probably in a couple of years i'll be watching it all over again yeah. and you'll see like on uh, you know i'll see on like netflix they'll have some like yeah dvd or something that you can watch where it's like the best moments yeah. of this show's history i just think that's hilarious that it just never goes away yeah and that's also why i got a personal twitter so i could, I could do some ridiculous stuff <laughs> where like can that. people follow you on that oh uh, well they don't want you don't to. want <laughs> they don't want to do that it's ridiculous hey, absolutely man, it's, ridiculous it's public you know 
Yeah. Well, I think that's funny too because you know balancing your personal life, being yourself, and also being a teacher mm-hmm. and being a leader and uh, you know a representative of the school you're at. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that difficult? No, no. A lot of people think that it is, and everybody wants to ask that question. Mm-hmm. What's it like being a teacher and a musician? What's right. It? They just they never overlap. No clashing. Did, no. did the kids know you're a musician? Yeah, a lot of them do. Yeah, a lot of them do. I actually have a poster from um, uh, hanging up of a show we played, so they. You know, if they really want to know, all they do is look up on the wall. Have they ever talked about listening to your stuff? Yeah. All of them want to talk about, I don't smoke dope with Satan. <laughs> Every one of them. If, I, if any of them is mentioned, it's that one. And, I'm, you know, I just laugh and say, oh, you've heard that one, huh? Uh-huh. That's it. So, usually, though, it's the, uh, it's the students I don't mind having a conversation with that bring it up. The students who, are, who I think are kind of, you know, bad kids and need some, need some help that never bring it up. They never look on the wall at the poster or, or, or make the connection. Is that me? They never do. But the ones that I don't, you know, the really nice and genuine and sweet kids, they bring it up and they want to laugh and cut up about it. And I do. I yeah. let them. There's rarely a clash as far as teacher versus musician, you know. It just doesn't clash. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too, that you're an English teacher. Yeah. You know, and you're a writer. You're a songwriter. I don't know if do you write like prose or anything like that, Mm-mm. but I figure editing a song, it's like grading a paper in a way. You know, you got yeah. you got to be you, you need to be pretty liberal with the red pen. I'm constantly revising. Yeah, constantly. I'm rarely completely satisfied. If I can get to about 98, 99 percent satisfaction, then that's good. I'm never a hundred percent. I'm constantly thinking that's not. Oh, I could, I could come up with something better. There's better imagery out there. There's a better simile for that. And yeah, the English nerd stuff comes out, and uh, but I heard, I've read where where John Lennon and Paul Simon spend months on a song. And Have I you did, ever spent months on a song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why it takes me so long to produce one. Yeah, to come out with one. If you hear a new song at a Looker show or at, a, at one of my solo shows, that means I wrote it four months ago. Yeah, yeah. And it's just now at a point where you feel like it's kind of ready. Yeah. Do you ever feel comfortable with it though? Yeah, like I said, if if I can get ninety eight percent, that's pretty comfortable. Okay. Yeah, there's always at least one line in every song where I go, oh, I could have done that. Oh. But I didn't when it gets out on the recording. I really don't care because it's, it's done, man. It's someone else's. Thanks so much, man. Well, thank you. Blaine Duncan and the Lookers, April 19th at Green Bar. That's right. Sounds good.